0: Welcome to Labor Law Radio. I'm your host, Michael Tracy, attorney at law. This is our first broadcast, so please uh, bear with me as we work out all the kinks, but uh, hopefully uh, it'll be fun for me and informative for you, and we'll uh, be doing these every week. Uh, Basically, the format uh, for the show, the name is uh, Labor Law Radio. Our website is www.laborlawradio.com. Our call in number is toll free 888 Mr. Tracy. That's 888 678 7229. That's me, Michael Tracy. And uh, what we want to do each week is pick up a different topic uh, relating to uh, labor and employment. Your job uh, covers California law, if uh, it's only broadcast in California. But if you're uh, accessing it uh, via the web, via the podcast, or something like that, and you're not in the state of California, the vast majority of this stuff won't apply to you. So you should consult a, a local attorney before uh, relying on any of this. Uh, in any case, this is uh, not legal advice. You should uh, consult an attorney anyway before. Uh, pursuing uh, any legal action or uh, to make sure you know what your rights are. Don't rely exclusively on this broadcast. Uh, with that said, what we want to do each week is pick up a different uh, topic from labor law and sort of go over it in depth, uh, cover what uh, what your rights are as an employee or what your obligations are as an employer. Now, I am a, a, a plaintiff's attorney. I generally represent employees in enforcing what their rights are Uh, to various uh, provisions of the labor law. So the perspective of the show is is somewhat of an employee's perspective, but it uh, is equally applicable to employers. Uh, A right of an employee is an obligation of an employer, and uh, we'll deal with those issues as well. So as a broad overview, uh, labor and employment covers a a wide variety of issues, and each week we're going to pick up uh, a different one of these. Um, So the big ones that we'll cover in the you know upcoming shows are wrongful termination that is what exactly is wrongful uh, just because you're fired it doesn't mean that uh, you have a case uh, just because the employer didn't have a good reason doesn't always mean that uh, you have a case uh, so we'll get into that exactly uh, what is wrongful termination what type of evidence you need in order to bring a case and uh, you know what are the cases that you know make the big verdicts that uh, that people get paid a substantial amount of money for uh, same thing, uh, harassment, sexual harassment, discrimination, same type of issues. What exactly is it? Uh, what does it take to make a case? And what does it take to make a really good case? Another uh, big issue in employment uh, law, which is sort of changing over time, is uh, privacy issues. Uh, traditionally, this has mainly just meant drug testing and uh, medical screening, medical records, uh, things like that. Uh, That's sort of changing now. I mean, we still have all those issues, but uh, you see a lot of stuff relating to uh, privacy of data, in particular social security numbers, a number of laws passed uh, protecting uh, that particular number. Uh, Also, we're seeing an increased number of employers utilizing a video surveillance, and uh, just a, a recent development is a number of employers using GPS tracking to keep track of their employees. So as we get into that, the privacy issues, we'll talk about how far you can go. There's been a couple cases in each of those video surveillance and GPS tracking that are uh, working their way through the courts. Uh, so it will be interesting to see how those uh, how those develop and uh, what the law for those particular issues are going to be. Another big issue, especially in California, is uh, trade secrets and non-compete agreements, non-solicitation agreements. California has a wide variety of laws that protect employees in this regard. Uh, Frequently out-of-state employers try to enforce their non-California policies in California, but uh, it is not uh, the blanket rule that every single non-compete agreement is automatically null and void in California. There's a lot of uh, uh, technicalities that go into that law and, and limits to what the employer can enforce. So on on that show, we're going to uh, talk in detail about the the trade secrets issues, non compete agreements, non solicitation agreements. Very uh, very interesting subject, especially in the high tech industry in California. We'll also cover traditional stuff, uh, family and medical leave. Uh, you know that's a federal issue. I mean, California has some uh, specific laws for that. Generally, that uh, mirror the federal uh, guidelines. So. That's, uh, it's been a long running thing. Uh, ADA, anti-discrimination, things like that are more traditional uh, employment uh, issues. Pregnancy discrimination. Uh, we like pregnancy uh, discrimination at my firm. It's uh, it's a fairly interesting field. Unfortunately, there's a lot of it out there uh, and you need to know what your rights are and how to uh, protect them. Another big issue that we practice at, at my firm is uh, wage and hour law. Uh, this Relates to unpaid overtime, minimum wage, meal breaks, what some people refer to as the technicalities of labor law. I don't think as technicalities. They're a part of the law, and uh, they are essentially rights that employees have been, uh, you know, have, have elected officials in order to enact for them. And that's, uh, that's what the government uh, passes laws to do, and uh, they are your rights, and uh, you have a right to enforce them. Uh, we're, and that'll be the subject of today's broadcast, and uh, we're going to narrow in on wage and hour issues and cover in detail uh, unpaid overtime issues. So in terms of the, the, the format for the shows, um, generally in the first half hour, we're going to cover sort of a broad overview of what that particular issue is, whether it's wrongful termination, wage and hour issues, uh, sort of go over the theory of the law. In the second half, uh, we're going to take calls and answer questions. Uh, so if you do want to call in, toll-free number is 888-678-7229 or you can go to our website, uh, laborlawradio.com, send an email in. Uh, we do uh, try to get a couple of those that relate to the the topic that we have today. So the topic that we have today is uh, unpaid overtime. This time we're not actually going to be able to take calls because it's our first broadcast and we haven't uh, uh, got the kinks worked out of the phone system. Uh, the Next uh, next week we will be taking your calls. Generally we take uh, pre-record the calls so we can filter and make sure you're not... Uh, uh, using bad language, make sure it's uh, germane to the topic that we're uh, discussing, and then uh, we broadcast uh, a few select ones of those in each uh, in each broadcast. Other issues that we'll cover just really briefly are union issues, uh, a lot of issues relating to unions. If you're pro-union, if you're anti-union, um, there's still a lot of issues in terms of what the union's obligations are and what you do you do when the union does not faithfully represent you. Um, also in terms of if you want to uh, form a union or organize your particular worksite, uh, the issues that go into that. Uh, are there a few other minor things that we'll cover in the coming months are retirement benefits and uh, COBRA benefits. Uh, these are also sort of you know technical uh, areas of the law. They're very uh, specific to, uh, you know, specific timed obligation that the employer has to do in a timely fashion and provide you certain notices based on uh, what the law requires. So if you know what your rights are, Uh, for those types of uh, uh, ERISA, you know, employee benefits, COPRA benefits, things like that. You can uh, enforce them and make sure that you are getting all of the benefits uh, that you're entitled to. So as I said, what we're going to do is uh, the first half of the show here, uh, sort of go over a general uh, overview of what the law is and then get into uh, some of your questions. The other area that I am going to cover once a month is is my pro bono section. Um, It's a area of the law that I practice, uh, pro bono, that is a free of charge, sort of as a, as a public service, and that is a veteran's uh, benefits. So in the, the labor and employment section, uh, you know, the regular parts of the show, we will talk about uh, veterans' rights in terms of reinstatement, anti-discrimination, what happens when you're called up, what your rights are once you come back to uh, to get your previous job back. Those are pretty straightforward, and, and generally, we don't see a lot of issues in uh, in those regards. Um, What the pro bono section is going to cover is uh, veterans' benefits as they relate to uh, disability and uh, an appeal from uh, the Board of Veterans, uh, uh, the uh, BVA, the Board of Veterans Appeals. And if you're appealing that, where I get involved with it is at the uh, Court of Appeal for Veterans Affairs. So I do receive a number of calls uh, from veterans seeking advice on this. So if you do, you can go to the same uh, website, Labor Law Radio. Uh, You can call the same toll-free number, 888-678-7229. Call in with your questions. We will be doing the uh, veterans uh, pro bono uh, week July seventh uh, next month. So hold your questions to then, and or yeah, submit them now, and we'll uh, we'll cover the uh, the veterans uh, issues in that particular broadcast. But for this week, what I'm going to focus on is unpaid overtime. This is a rapidly growing type of uh, of lawsuit. It's one of the, the fastest types of uh, class act growing fastest growing class action lawsuits in in the nation. Uh, there's been a whole slew of recent high-dollar uh, judgments awarded or settlements reached. Uh, we had farmer's insurance that was a $210 million just this year. We've had a whole slew of uh, Walmart uh, settlements for a variety of things, overtime, meal breaks and things like that. Just this year, Walmart settled uh, $33 million uh, with the federal government for a Department of Labor investigation into uh, unpaid overtime. And we're going to get into that one a little bit more in the second half of this particular show because it covers a lot of the technicalities that uh, come up in overtime law. And it's an it's a f- interesting case. It's a kind of funny case because Walmart basically said, well, we didn't know what the law was. Uh, we suddenly researched it and found we owed $33 million. I don't know whether I believe that or not, but uh, apparently the federal government did, and they really didn't hit them with a whole bunch of uh, penalties and fines for this. But it is interesting because when you look at the types of violations that they were making, it wasn't simply the people weren't properly classified uh, for unpaid overtime, which is a common, which is the common claim, you know, the farmer's insurance, they weren't paid any overtime at all, uh, but they should have been paid overtime. In the Walmart case, they were actually uh, paid overtime. Uh, Some of the employees were paid overtime, but not paid it properly. And uh, for Walmart to screw it up to the tune of thirty-three million dollars is a little bit interesting, and we'll get into that in the second half of the broadcast when we cover more about what that is. Uh, another big one was Electronic Arts, a video game publishing company, fifteen million dollars plus in unpaid overtime to computer graphics artists and uh, video game programmers. Uh, that one was uh, interesting because they were, you know, the people are so highly compensated, and it uh, went back for such a, a good period of time. Uh, Merrill Lynch, uh, $37 million in a uh, uh, in an overtime case for unpaid uh, overtime for uh, stockbrokers, uh, most of them, not most of them, but uh, many of them made over $100,000 a year, highly compensated employees. Um, you know, Their defense was, these guys made so much money, we never thought they might be entitled to overtime. Well, that's not the way the law works. Um, if you're entitled to overtime, you're entitled to overtime, and we'll get into exactly who is entitled to overtime and how that uh How that relates to these particular cases, but I want to take a step back and look at why there is such a growing number of overtime lawsuits, and not just overtime lawsuits, but other wage and hour cases. We'll cover other wage and hours issues, meal breaks, penalties, pay stub violations, and and various other types of uh, penalties you can get uh, against your employee in future broadcasts. So today we're just focusing on overtime, but there has been a surge in all types of uh, wage and hour violations, these technical violations of the labor law. And I want to talk a little bit about why that's occurring. Um, the main reason is, is that for a lot of the stuff we talked about or just mentioned we would talk about in future shows, wrongful termination, harassment, discrimination, these cases are becoming harder and harder to prevail on uh, for a plaintiff. Um, the simple fact is is that there is no law... That requires an employer to treat you fairly. There is no law that prevents an employer from uh, firing you just on a whim. California is an at-will state, and that means that barring, unless you're a member of a union or have an employment contract, the employer can fire you at any time for any reason or no reason at all. And frequently they don't have a good reason. Uh, people get terminated and they come to an uh, enterprising plaintiff's attorney, such as myself, and they want to sue for being terminated, and they have no case. Uh, what they do have a case for is unpaid overtime, missed meal breaks, something like that, and they end up suing for that instead. Uh, I'm not going to say the majority. I, I would probably say the majority of people who come to me, uh, to my law firm, uh, for representation do not come specifically for unpaid overtime. They usually come for another reason, mostly wrongful termination, um, but they don't have a wrongful termination case. And When we get into the wrongful termination segment a couple of weeks down the road, we'll see why those things are more difficult than most people uh, believe. But um, they come for wrongful termination. They don't have anything and, but they do want to go after all of their rights against this employer. So usually we end up suing for something like unpaid overtime or one of the other technical violations of, of the labor law. And it's because, you know, the heyday of the wrongful termination, the sexual harassment, the discrimination, you know, those big verdict lawsuits, they're not there anymore. Judges aren't as sympathetic, uh, juries aren't as sympathetic, and the legislators not as sympathetic. They've, uh, they've reined in these type of claims uh, over the past, uh, you know, decade or so. So uh, that's why, that's one of the reasons why we see so many of these, uh, technical lawsuits going forward against, uh, employers. Um, you know, there's also, you know, less benefits being played to employees. There's much higher turnover. Um, and, you know, for an employee who's only been with an employer, you know, for for three or four months, they probably don't have a, a very good claim themselves. But if they can turn that into a class action claim, you know, generally they can get some type of incentive pay for the class action or something like that. And it's much uh, much more in their benefit to bring it forward as a class action rather than uh, individually litigating the case out. So, uh, you know, because you have this higher turnover, you know, more disgruntled employees, you um, you know, you do see an increase in these. Another big reason for uh, an increase in law, in these lawsuits, and I've seen this personally, is ingre- aggressive enforcement by employers of employers' rights. Now, employers do have rights as well. Um, a common one is overpayment of wages. They Employers make mistakes all the time, and uh, they overpay in, uh, employees, and then they, they get that money back from them. Uh, another uh, aggressive enforcement, and we'll talk about this in a, in a future segment, are these trade secrets and non-compete agreements. Employers are aggressively enforcing these non-compete agreements. Many of them are invalid. Some of them are, you know, overstretching. And exactly where that boundary line comes in will be a subject of a future broadcast. But suffice it to say that employers are being much more aggressive in this uh, in this particular. Realm And what that means is that the employees go consult attorneys. The attorneys look at the case and say, well, you know, this may be a valid non-compete agreement. There's maybe some some trade secrets that you're not allowed to disclose here. Uh, But golly gee, you know, you might be entitled to hundreds of thousands of dollars in back overtime or a large sum of uh, in back overtime. It's very rare that you have a multi hundred thousand dollar overtime claim. Um, in fact, one of the—I uh, don't know if it was the Merrill Lynch case itself, or but it was one of the uh, stockbroker cases. What had happened was the brokerage firm had overpaid the employee something like I think five thousand dollars. They had made some mistakes in his commission calculations, and uh, you know they went—he had—I think they had terminated, they had laid him off, and three months later they said we overpaid you five thousand dollars and we want that money back. Uh, the law is that if they if they do make an honest mistake in, in overpaying you, they are entitled to recoup their money. There are certain ways that they have to go about uh, recovering it, but in this case, they did go about the proper, proper mechanism, that is, they went to court and they sued the employee for $5,000. Well, the employee went out and hired an attorney, which you should do if your employer is suing you, and the attorney looked at it and said, well, golly gee, you're right, uh, we do owe you $5,000, but it looks like my client was a... Uh, non exempt employee, that is, he was entitled to overtime. He worked there for a couple years, and you owe him $150,000 in unpaid overtime. So I'll tell you what, you write us a check for, we owe you, you owe us one hundred and fifty, dollars we owe you $5,000, you write us a check for $145,000, and we'll call it even. Uh, the employer didn't like that. They chose to litigate it out, and ultimately they ended up paying in the Merrill Lynch case $37 million uh, in unpaid overtime wages as part of the class action. Uh, they did get their 5,000 bucks back, uh, in unpaid wages though. So employers, please continue to sue your employees for unpaid wages because I get a good number of cases of these each year where you're suing for back wages and they come to me and there's always some type of labor violation. And, uh, not all, we can usually find some type of, of labor violation and recoup more money than the, the employee legitimately owes you. So you do have an absolute right to go recover your money and please continue to exercise it because it um, keeps uh, attorneys like me in business. In any case, um, another reason for the, uh, for the uptake, you know, the upswing in these, uh, these lawsuits, it's simply that employees are more knowledgeable about the law. Uh, a lot of this is uh, the internet. Uh, people go, can go out and read uh, exactly what their their rights are. Um, there's been a series of uh, highly uh, publicized cases in which uh, you know you know these multi million dollar settlements that are reached. So employees are generally more literate in terms of what their uh, what their rights are. Surprisingly, employers don't seem to be uh, more literate in it in terms of the Walmart uh, case. You know, like I say, they they basically said, well, they didn't know what the uh, what the law was. And uh, so somehow they missed paying people $33 million. But uh, in any case, I mean, that's sort of what uh, what the reasons are for uh, for this upswing in uh, uh, in overtime cases. So what I want to go into now is what makes uh, what makes a good overtime case, or in particular, I mean, what makes any overtime cases. Um, you know, who is entitled to overtime and who is not entitled to overtime. I mean, you don't need to win $210 million to have a great overtime case. And we'll talk about why smaller cases can be uh, effectively prosecuted and what you need to do in order to enforce your rights and, you know, ultimately why the vast majority of cases don't go to trial. The vast majority of cases never go to litigation. Um, you know, employers are usually pretty good about paying it once you uh, once you do try to enforce your rights. So what I want to do now is sort of switch and go over the theories of uh, overtime law. Then we'll come back at uh, uh, after the mid-break and... Sort of do a, I do a recap of some news, uh, current events, and stuff like that 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 are relative to the labor employment in particular, uh, unpaid overtime cases, or just interesting news events in terms of uh, uh, of labor law that we do, and then we'll we'll get into some of the questions that have been sent in uh, regarding this uh, subject. So the first thing is in evaluating an overtime claim, you have to start with the assumption that every single person who works in California is entitled to overtime unless they meet one of the narrowly defined exemptions. The biggest myth about overtime is that if you are paid on a salary, you are not entitled to overtime, but that is simply not the law. I don't know. I can't say it enough. My The vast majority of my practice is based around, my overtime practice is based around salaried people who are entitled to overtime. If all you had to do was pay the person a salary and you didn't get overtime, I'd be out of business. Um that's not the law but it's not it's also not the case that every hourly employee is entitled to overtime believe it or not uh an extreme example you can have a computer programmer making $100,000 a year on a salary basis uh, educated at uh, MIT doing some you know high speed computer programming working 80 hours a week uh, he would be entitled to overtime um that's uh, that's simply what the law is on the flip side you could have a interstate truck driver making minimum wage, uh, currently seven fifty an hour, and paid hourly, not on a salary, just flat hourly, paid by the hour. He would not be entitled to uh, uh, to minimum wage. So, hundred thousand dollar computer programmer, MIT graduate, uh, not entitled to uh, is entitled to overtime paid on a salary. Minimum wage truck interstate big rig truck driver, uh, seven fifty an hour paid hourly is not entitled to overtime so we'll get into exactly why that is now truck driver exemptions are the rules for truck drivers are very very complex i'll probably have an entire broadcast for this it might not be you know all the truck driver jobs are going to mexico anyway so we may not have any truck drivers left in california um but uh uh, if we do hopefully um then i'll have a show for uh uh, for the truck drivers and what the rules are, why it's so complicated. It's sort of a historical reason. Some of it uh, some of it's interesting, but uh, needless to say, I mean, a lot of truck drivers get the short end of the stick when it comes to unpaid overtime. We'll talk about why that is um, and uh, you know what your rights are and how you how you can enforce them. Uh, but that'll be in a future broadcast. But uh, for this one, I want to talk about you know pretty much everybody else that uh, that is out there and what types of uh, exemptions that they can uh, fit under. Um you know, there's really three big exemptions that apply to the vast majority of jobs in California. They're the executive exemption, the administrative exemption, and the professional exemption. The professional exemption has this little sub thing underneath it called the computer professional exemption that we'll uh we'll talk about briefly. Um but it's 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 fairly easy to understand. Um so even if you're not a computer programmer, it won't take us too long. Uh the biggest one that the the most common so after the myth of you're paid a salary and you're not entitled to overtime, that's the number one misconception about overtime. The next, the number two misconception about overtime is the executive exemption. Some people think of it as the, uh, the managerial exemption. And, you know, there's this belief that if you supervise two people, you're not entitled to overtime, or if you're a manager, you're not entitled to overtime. That's not the law. Uh, in fact, in recent supreme court case of murphy versus kenneth cole we're going to talk about that in our meal break case because it was primarily about meal breaks but he also had an an, an overtime case he was the manager uh john paul murphy the plaintiff in that case was the manager for a kenneth cole store he was in charge of the whole store he opened it he closed it he supervised people he he did all sorts of stuff in the store uh still entitled to overtime he was paid on a salary basis um still entitled to overtime um, so it's much more, the executive exemption applies to bona fide executives, not just managers. Now, uh, not everybody that fits it is, you know, what I would call a bona fide executive. There are certain legal requirements that, uh, that he has to meet, but the most important, uh, of those is that, well, maybe not the most important, but it, you know, in, in order you have to meet these, uh, these qualifications, you have to be in charge of some type of fixed department or customarily recognized subdivision that is some... Organizational unit inside the uh, inside the organization. The most common people that don't meet that are project managers. Project managers who pull people from different um, resource groups, pull them together for some project, finish the project up, and then the people go back to the pool of employees. Where well, there's nothing really fixed or permanent about it. It's just well, we're working on you know a project out at uh, at site A today and. Uh, I'm going to be the project manager and I pick my five employees who are best suited and we go there and we work on it. And you know, So even if you can meet the other requirements there, you're not in charge of a fixed unit. Um, if you're in charge of, you know, every night you're in charge of the night shift. If you're in charge of the customer service department, if you're in charge of the entire store um, and you meet all the other requirements, John Paul Murphy did not, but he was in charge of the entire store. Um, if you're in charge of the entire store, you can meet that uh, that piece of the exemption. The next one is that you have to... Uh, customarily and re- uh, regularly direct the work of at least two employees. Um, this one is commonly taken to be the whole exemption, where the employer says, "Well, you supervise two people, so you're you're automatically exempt." Uh, we'll see in in just a second why that simply is rarely the case. Two people just isn't enough. You have to have authority to hire or fire or participate uh, materially in the process. And you know, the technical thing is that. Uh, uh, that your opinion be given particular weight. You don't have to have the ultimate authority. You can require somebody else's approval. You can have to run it by the boss. Um, you can have to give it to HR for their approval, or maybe HR does the ultimate hiring and firing. But you have to have some type of a uh, material impact in, in hiring and firing employees, as well as uh, in their performance review. So some people just participate in the hiring and firing, but unless they have complete control over that, they also have to have uh, input in terms of the performance review of the employees. The next big one is that you have to exercise uh, discretion and independent judgment in your job. Uh, We'll talk a lot more about this in the administrative exemption because it doesn't frequently come up in the executive exemption. I mean, if you're meeting all of the other uh, requirements of the the executive exemption, you generally have uh, discretion and independent judgment. So we'll talk a a little bit uh, more about that in the administrative exemption, which is coming up next. The final one and the big one for California is that you have to spend 50% or more of your time on exempt duties, that is, you know, managerial duties, supervisorial duties, supervising employees, making their schedule, interviewing people, uh, dealing with uh, complaints from employees, writing employees up, disciplining employees, all the things that go into actually being a manager. Um, so if you're only supervising two people, which is the, the minimum that the, uh, that the law requires, it's just, it's highly unlikely that you're spending 50% of your time or more uh, you know, interviewing or hiring five or just two people that, uh, that work for you. So while the, the absolute minimum is two people, uh, generally, uh, you know, realistically speaking, you know, it's going to be five or six or more people that you're going to really have to be supervising before you could possibly be spending, uh, 50% of your time or more on, on, on supervising them. So we do see a lot of, uh, a lot of mistakes made in classifying employees as exempt under the, uh, uh, the executive exemption. You also to be exempt as uh, as an executive. You do have to be paid on a salary basis. There's a number of mistakes that can be made when paying people on a salary basis. I don't want to get into too many of them, but basically you have to be paid for any time the company shuts down on their own accord. Now they can they can dock pay when you take personal days off. Uh, for a full day. If you only take half a day off, they have to pay you for the full day. They are allowed to deduct it from your paid time off. But if they're paying you essentially as an hourly employee, you can't uh, qualify as an executive. But before we can get into that, we need to take a station break here for a couple minutes. So we'll pick it back up on the other side of the break. We'll go over the administrative and the professional, the computer professional, and some of the other nuances of uh, you know the big three exemptions. And then get into some of your questions. We're also going to cover uh, news and current issues in, in labor law, very interesting uh, segment on uh, various court cases that have been recently decided and the court opinions. Um, so we'll see you back on the other, uh, the other side of the break.